And uh, the series is on generosity. We're using the, the term God aloha because obviously here in Hawaiian culture, aloha is synonymous with generosity. That the spirit of aloha is a spirit of giving and a spirit of sharing and a spirit of being together with people. And, and so we are, are challenging ourselves, do we God aloha? Do we have that spirit of giving in our lives? And we're looking at different challenges from the word of God to take us even beyond aloha, to take us to a new level of what generosity could look like in our lives. And it goes beyond money, even though money is an important part of generosity. It goes beyond money, and it encompasses our whole life. That we are generous with our time, with our money, with the things we're able to do, with the emotions that we share with people, with the, the wisdom we share with people, with the Word of God that we share with people. That we are generous in every phase of our life. So we started off this series looking at the economics of generosity, and I gave you guys the Ten Commandments of Generosity. If you missed that, you can go to our website or go to our podcast and listen to that sermon. And uh, the, the main point of the sermon was this, that the reason we are generous and the reason I am encouraging you to be generous is not because I want you to give more of your money or, or because we want you to do more things, right? I'm not doing this out of a selfish ambition. I'm encouraging you to be more generous because the more generous you are, the more you live in the favor of God. And the more that you pour yourself out, the more you experience the goodness and the liberality of God in your life. Then last week for part two of the series, we did developing a generous spirit. And Brian did a great job sharing on that truly we discover our generous spirit at the foot of the cross. When we realize the generosity of God the Father then it develops a generous spirit within us. And he did a great job of looking at the prodigal son parable and, and what that taught us about the generosity of God the Father. A little bit. So today for part three, I've got a title that hopefully intrigues you just a little bit. The title of today's message is The Generosity You Were Designed For. The Generosity You Were Designed For. That's what I want to look at today. Now, I want to start out with a quote from the Declaration of Independence. I'm kind of an American history nerd. I love studying history. And uh, we were in New York City last week on our vacation. And so Monday was April 30th. And on Monday, we went to the old federal building in New York City. And, and that federal building is where George Washington took the oath of office as our first president of the United States. Now, what day did he take the oath of office? April 30th. Which means I just happened to be standing on the same steps that George Washington was sworn in as our first president exactly 229 years to the day after he did it. See, I'm a nerd, okay? That got me excited, okay? So I love American history. Well, listen to this. From the Declaration of Independence, it says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal. Now, I want to assert to you today that that is partially true, and partially not true. All men are created equal. The true part of it is this, that we are all created by God, therefore we are all just as valuable. And, and there is no way to distinguish a difference in value between any human being because every one of us was created by God, every one of us is equally valuable, and every one of us should have access to the same set of rights because of that. 
right? That's very important that we're all created equal in that way. But I also want to assert that it's not true that we're not all created equal. We're all created very, very differently. And we're created with different skill sets. We're created with different purposes. We're created with different levels of skill. And why is this important? Well, because I think we're seeing a little bit in some of the insanity of our culture today what happens when we lean too strongly towards this idea that everyone is created equal and therefore everyone should have an equally fair chance at life. And that's just not true. And, and where does this insanity show itself? Well, it, it shows itself in things like this. Sports leagues for kids that don't keep score. All right? Am I the only one that thinks that's crazy? All right? Sports leagues for kids that don't keep score. All right? When Andrew was little, he joined this flag football league, and this flag football league didn't keep score. And so I'm his coach, and so I've got all these little kids here. And every single game, every moment of that game, I tell you what, those kids knew exactly what the score was, right? They're coming up to me saying, hey, coach, the score is 12 to 7 right now. And I'm like, don't worry about it. We're not supposed to be keeping score. No, it's 12 to 7 right now. I know. I know too, okay, but we're not supposed right? They'd be coming up to me, coach, we got to score a touchdown right now so we can win the game. Well, we're not actually keeping track of wins and losses. No, coach, we got to score a touchdown right now so we can win the game. So... Now, keep in mind, these kids are seven years old. The, our team that year went undefeated, right? We won every single game, and I actually got reprimanded by the league for coaching my kids too well so that they would win every game in a league where they didn't keep score, okay? So what does this do? This creates this concept with this generation that's growing up that um, we don't have to compete and we're all going to be equal and we're all going to get a fair chance. Right? I was working for this uh, lunchtime uh, sports program where you would go into the elementary school at lunchtime and play games with the kids. But they had all of these ridiculous rules and one of the rules was this. You could not say to a kid, you're out. So if you're playing a game where a kid gets eliminated, you're not allowed to say to him, you're out. They're like, you have to come up with a creative way of letting the kid know that they have to stand off to the side until the next round of the game. You mean like saying you're out? Okay, but no, you have to say it a different way because it would hurt somebody's feelings to tell them that they're out. And so we've got these generation growing up thinking, well... That person got a chance, so I should get a chance, right? Because life is supposed to be fair. Well, no, that person got a chance because they're way better than you. And that's okay because life isn't fair. Because we're not all created equal. Let me give you an example. Let's look at the most decorated Olympian in the history of the Olympics, a man known as Michael Phelps. All right, I believe this about Michael Phelps. This guy was designed by God to swim. And he was designed by God to swim really fast. Think about this. Michael Phelps wears size 14 shoes. All right, so he has huge feet. But not only does he have huge feet, he has double-jointed ankles. So his ankles actually bend 15 degrees further than an average human being. So with huge feet and double-jointed ankles, he's able to move like a dolphin in the water, right? He was designed to swim. Michael Phelps is six feet four, but his body is completely disproportionate. 
Normally, your wingspan and your height are exactly the same, right? If you put your arms out, it usually can create a square. Well, his wingspan is four inches longer than his height. He has unusually long arms. Also, his upper body, the length of his torso, matches the height of somebody who's supposed to be six foot eight, while his legs match the height of somebody who's supposed to be shorter than six feet. What does that mean? It means his upper torso is out of proportion with his legs, which means when he's in the water, he can keep his body higher in the water, which creates less drag, and he has abnormally long arms to create greater strokes when he is swimming. Michael Phelps was designed by God to swim. Also, you know that your muscles produce lactic acid, right? That's what causes our muscles to get fatigued after we use them for a while. Also, the next day after you work out, when you're really tight and sore, that's lactic acid that's stored up in your muscles that's making you sore. Michael Phelps, when they studied his body, determined that his muscles only produce half the lactic acid of a normal human being, which means his muscles don't get tired. He can go twice as long as anybody else because he doesn't produce the lactic acid. Michael Phelps was designed by God to swim right? He was not created equally. We did not all get a fair chance to win a gold medal in swimming in the Olympics, right? I can't say, well, you know, if I had just worked a little harder in the swimming pool, I could have been Michael Phelps. No, I was not designed to be Michael Phelps. God designed me to be more like a brick in the water, right? I just get in the water and just slowly sink, okay? That's, that's what I do in the water, we're not all created equally. Now, just because Michael Phelps was designed to swim doesn't mean that he could just show up at a swimming pool and beat everybody. No, he still had to dedicate his life to his craft. He still had to work hard swimming 8 to 10 hours a day every day, working out and preparing himself so that he could be the greatest in the world at something. But all of that work and dedication started with the fact that he was designed differently than every other human being. We are not all created equally. So I want to look at this. First off, I want to look at a parable that we actually studied just three weeks ago when we were talking about our soon and coming king and we were talking about stewardship of our lives. But I want to look at this same parable from a different perspective today. So in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, we have the parable of the talents. Right? We have three men that were given a different amount of money by their master. One of the men was given five talents, one of the men was given two talents, and one of the men was given one talent. Now look at this in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 25. It says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and then here's the thing I want to camp on, each according to his own ability. See, in this fairness culture, we would want to say, well, why didn't the master give all three guys the same amount of money? Why? Because each one had a different level of ability, and he gave them the money based on their ability to properly handle the money. He wasn't giving it out in terms of fairness or equality. He was giving it out in terms of what their skill level deserved. Now, they each had a different skill level. And there's really only two ways that we can come to a different skill level. One is we've been blessed by God with a greater skill in that area than somebody else. 
The other way that we get more skilled is that we work hard at it to get better at it, right? If you look at me, I am not a natural athlete. I am not naturally strong. I am not naturally fast. I am not naturally agile. Yet by the end of my high school career, I earned all league honors playing high school football, and I got a college scholarship to go play football in college. And I got those accolades ahead of a whole bunch of other guys who were way more gifted athletes than me. So how did I get that? Because I purposed myself that I was going to work harder than everybody else. So when I was in the gym, I didn't mess around in the gym. I was going to lift and use every chance I had to get stronger when I was lifting in the gym. When we were doing agility drills and we were doing ladder drills and footwork drills, I purposed myself I was going to get better. At practice, I was going to work harder than everybody else. In fact, there was one practice my senior year where the whole team was struggling and coach just canceled practice. He said, you know what? We just got to stop. And he says, you know why I'm canceling practice? He said, I'm canceling practice because Chidester is dogging it. And Chidester never dogs it. So that means all of you must be tired. So I'm just going to cancel practice right now. I purposed myself to work harder so that I would have a higher skill level so that I could get the accolades and so that I could get the college scholarship to go play football. Different levels of skill. Either we're born with it or we work hard enough to develop it but we all end up with a different level of skill. And each of these guys was given money according to their skill level. So what does that mean? That means that God can provide for us opportunities that match our skill level. And what happens is this, is we say, well, why doesn't God... Give me more people to minister to. Why doesn't God let me do more? Why doesn't God give me bigger influence? Well, maybe he's giving you exactly what matches your skill level. And if we want more, the only way God's going to give us more is we're faithful with what he's already given us, and we actually put the work in to develop more skill, and if we put the work in to develop more skill, God will give us more. We just think, well, I showed up, so God should give me something. Well, no. Do more. You know, we look at people that are super successful, and we say, well, we should all have a chance to be that successful. Well, if we're all willing to pay the price that those successful people paid, are we willing to put the time in? to develop what it took to work hard, to sacrifice, to lose out on, to struggle through the things they had to struggle through. So you say, I wish God would give me more opportunities to speak. Well, then work on your speaking skill. I wish God would give me more opportunities to pray for people. Well, then be faithful to pray for the ones he's already given you. I wish God would give me a greater opportunity to win more people to Jesus. Well, then why don't we start being faithful to the ones he's already given us? He's going to give us in accordance to our ability. So then, of course, it goes on to say that the man who had received five talents doubled his money. The man who had received two talents doubled his money. And the man who received one talent buried his money in the ground and didn't do anything with it. The one who had received the five talents came and brought five more talents. I'm in verse 20 now. Saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. Listen to this. You were faithful with a few things. 
I will put you in charge of many things. We want many things in ministry. We want many things in life. We want many things in the service of the kingdom of God. Then the first step is to be faithful with the few things and to develop our skill level so that he can continue to give us more things. The one who buried his talent in the ground, verse 26, but his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy servants. You wicked, lazy servants. Verse 28, therefore take the talent away from him and give it to the man who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And you say, that doesn't sound very fair. That doesn't sound very nice. That doesn't sound very loving coming from God. Well, wait a minute. God gave him the one talent to begin with. It's not God's fault he didn't do anything with it. It's his fault he didn't do anything with it. And it's not God's fault he didn't get five talents. The reason he didn't get five talents is because he didn't develop his skill to the level that he could handle five talents. It's not about fairness. It's about understanding what is my talent level, what talent level has God blessed me with, and what am I doing to develop that talent level to a new place so that God can give me more. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like to look at a couple of guys We're going to go way back in the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. We're going to learn about these two guys named Bezalel and Aholiab. Bezalel and Aholiab. So let's read the first 11 verses of Exodus 31, and then we're going to break this down together. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat upon it, all the furniture of the tent, the table also and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all of its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, the laver and its stand, the woven garments as well, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, the garments for his son with which to carry on their priesthood, the anointing oil also, the fragrant incense for the holy place, they are to make them according to all that I have commanded you. So let's talk about what's going on here. The book of Exodus tells the story of God delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt. So God's people had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. He raises up Moses out of the house of Pharaoh. Moses goes and spends a season in the desert, and then God sends him back to Egypt to set his people free. You got the ten plagues, right? Egypt is destroyed. Finally, Pharaoh lets God's people go. He chases them. God parts the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea. The Red Sea closes up on the Egyptians. And God's people end up out in the wilderness, finally freed from slavery. 
And then God calls Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai to spend some time in the very presence of God. And during that time, he gives, God the, or he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Our Keiki right now are learning the Ten Commandments, so you guys can ask him about that after service today. He gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and then he gives Moses specific instructions on how to build a portable temple for the presence of God. And this portable temple was called the tabernacle. That's just a fancy word basically for a tent. All right, It was a big fancy tent. And God gave them specific instructions how to build it, how to set it up, how to break it down, how to carry it with them to the new location, set it back up again, put everything in its proper place. And chapters 25 through 30 of the book of Exodus is all of the very specific instructions on how to build this tabernacle. So that's everything that happened right up until verse 31. And so now, after giving all the instructions on how to build it, God is going to appoint the people who are in charge of the team who get to actually put everything together. And so what does he do? He calls by name a man, Bezalel, of the tribe of Judah. He calls him by name. I love this, right? God sees you. God knows you. He knows you by name. He knows what you've been doing with your life. He knows what skills and talents you have. He knows what you're capable of. And when the time comes when he needs you and he has a specific job for you to do, he will call you by name. I love that. He will call you by name because he has something important for you to do. And then in verse 3, it says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. You know what's awesome about this? This is the first time in the Bible that anybody is mentioned as being filled with the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean necessarily that he's the first person who ever was. It just means it's the first time it was ever mentioned that somebody was filled with the Spirit of God is right here, this man named Bezalel. Now it says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and all kinds of craftsmanship. Here's the thing. The wording of this in the Hebrew implies that he already had all of these skills, but now God filled him with the Spirit to elevate and empower all of those skills. Right? So first off, Bezalel already had all of these skills. What skills are we talking about? All of the skills necessary to build the tabernacle. That means he had to know how to weave fabric, make fancy designs in the fabric. He had to know how to hammer metal uh, like gold and silver and copper and do ornate statues and beautiful structures uh, by, by pounding metal. He had to know how to set jewelry. He had to know how to carve wood. He had to know he had to have all of these skills. Now, here's the thing. Where did Bezalel get all of these skills? Well, you could say, well, maybe he was born with them. Maybe he was gifted by God with them. Okay, so he was gifted by God with all of these skills. So the next question is, where did he hone all of these skills? Where did he make all of these skills better? Where had he lived his entire life? Egypt. And what was he in Egypt? He was a slave. He was working for slave masters. So this man had a skill that maybe God put in him at birth and God intended to use for his glory, but in the meantime, the only way for Bezalel to develop this skill set was to be faithful to a slave master, to be faithful to Egyptian men who hated him and degraded him 
and treated him terribly, and yet it was an opportunity for him to develop his skill sets. Have any of us here worked for somebody we didn't like before? Whoo, come on. So you work for yourself, Steve. Come on, don't, don't put yourself down. Like, no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> We've all worked for somebody we didn't like before. Maybe it felt like they were a slave master, right? Maybe it felt like, and we think, I hate this job. I hate working for this person. I, and we bring this bad attitude in. But what if that job that you hated and that boss that treated you terribly was actually a place for you to develop a skill set that God would use later in life to fulfill his purpose. He developed his skill set as a slave in Egypt. And then God came to him and filled him with the Holy Spirit and called him by name. But think about when God called him. They're in the wilderness. He spent his whole life as a slave doing what? Hammering metal, making ornate structures, setting jewelry into or setting stones into jewelry and making ornate clothing and all of that. Now they are wandering nomads in the wilderness. I'm pretty sure there's not a high demand for making ornate statues or fancy clothing or nice jewelry when you're nomads wandering in the wilderness. So now you've got this man named Bezalel who feels like he doesn't fit in. Every skill I've developed doesn't work here. I don't fit in. I don't feel like I have a place here. Has anybody ever felt like that before? I have a gifting. I have a skill set, but I just don't understand how it matches the situation I'm in in life right now. And it's in that very moment when Bezalel is feeling like maybe I wasted my whole life. I have skills that are not in demand. I have gifts, but I don't know how to use them. In that very moment that he's questioning himself and feeling like he doesn't fit in is the very moment that God calls him by name and says, I have a purpose for your life. And I want to encourage you today. You have gifts. You have God-given gifts. God has put you in opportunities throughout your life to develop those gifts, and God has a purpose for those gifts. Even if you're in a place right now where you feel like, I don't know how I fit in. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. My gifts are kind of odd. They're, they're not the popular ones that seem really easy to use. I tell you this, in the midst of your wondering, God is going to call you by name and have a great purpose for you to use those gifts for the glory of his kingdom. He had the skills. He developed them in slavery. And then God put the Holy Spirit upon him to empower and elevate those skills. Let me take it a step further. We've been talking about Bezalel, who was of the tribe of Judah. And then also we introduced this guy named Aholiab. So Bezalel is going to be the main foreman of the job. And Aholiab is going to be the assistant, the second in command on this whole job of building the temple, the tabernacle. Aholiab was of the tribe of Dan. So we've got Bezalel of the tribe of Judah, and we've got Aholiab of the tribe of Dan. Why is that significant? Why does that matter? Well, you have to understand how God established the tribes of Israel. And what he did is the tribe of Levi, which were called the Levites, he set them aside and declared them to be the holy ones, the only ones that could minister in the tabernacle, the only ones that could touch the holy things of God, the only ones that could do all of that was the tribe of Levi. 
They were set apart as the holy ones. So why is that a big deal? Because this guy that was of the tribe of Judah and this other guy that was of the tribe of Dan, they got to build every single one of those holy items that nobody was allowed to touch. What does that mean? It means that because of their skill set and because of their willingness to develop their skill set and because their skill set was at a level that God felt that he could trust them to build his tabernacle, because of that, they got to enter into a holy place that most people don't get to go. They got to lay their hands on holy things that if anybody else from the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Dan touched those things, they would drop dead on the spot. They got to go into a holy place because of their skill set. I want to encourage you with your skill set and your willingness to develop your skill set, you will get to go into holy places that maybe nobody else gets to go because of your willingness to go that far. Thank you, Jesus. Finally is this. In verse 6, he talks about Aholiab, and then he talks about all of the skillful artisans in which he has put the skill within them. And then he says this, that they may make all that I have commanded you. That they may make all that I have commanded you. Here's the thing. Why did Bezalel get chosen? Why did Aholiab get chosen? Were they the only guys in the whole nation that knew how to do tapestry and, and structures and jewelry and all of this stuff? No, probably not. Why did they get chosen? Because God knew that he could trust them to build it exactly the way he had commanded. He knew that he could trust them to be faithful and obedient to do the job the way he called them to do it. And how did he know that he could trust them? Because they had already proven it in their life. And that goes back to the parable of the talents, right? I'm going to trust you with a few things, and if you're faithful with a few things, I will give you more. These men were chosen for the job because God could trust them to be faithful and obedient to the design as they did the job. And if you want God to choose you in life and you want God to use you in the skills that you have, be faithful in the little things. So that when the time comes for God to call you into a holy place to do something uh, significant in the kingdom of God, that he'll know that he can trust you and he won't mind choosing you because you have shown yourself faithful. Amen. So, the title of the message was the generosity you were designed for. The generosity you were designed for. What does that mean? First off, we're not all created equal. We're all created with different skill sets and we're all created with different levels of that skill set. And just because your level isn't as good as somebody else doesn't mean that you're devalued. It just means that that's your starting point. That's the skill set that he blessed you with to start with. You don't have to be the best at something for your skill to be important or for your skill to be cherished by God. You just have to be faithful with it. You were designed with a certain skill set. So now what is the generosity you were designed for? Well, how much are you going to develop that skill set? And how freely are you going to allow that skill set to flow through your life to serve the kingdom of God? so that you can do greater and greater things and as a church we can make a greater and greater impact on this world for the kingdom of God. That is the generosity we were designed for. Will you be generous with the things you were designed to do?
Therefore, you are not responsible for the things you weren't designed to do. You're responsible for the things you are designed to do. And will you be generous with those things? So let's finish with this. You've got this slide, Antonio. Living out the generosity you were designed for. I'm just going to give you five practical steps here as we close today. Number one, identify the gifts that God has given you. What are your skill sets? What are the gifts that make you unique? What are the strengths in your life? What are the things that you are good at? What are the things that you are passionate about? What are the things that make you feel alive when you do them? Identify your gifts. And listen, a lot of times we'll try to take the easy way out and just say, I don't have any special gifts. I don't have any specific thing that I'm good at. I just like to come and serve. I don't have any gifts. You know what? That's not true. And when we say that, we think we're being humble when we say that, but we're not being humble. You know what we're doing? We're burying our gifts. We're burying our talents. And the guy in the parable who buried his talents, did God say, oh, that was so humble of you, burying your talent like that. Thank you so much for, for the humility you've displayed. No, you know what he said to him? You wicked and lazy servants. That's what he said to him. So saying I don't have any gifts is not humility. It's taking the easy way out and it's burying the very things that God put in you to bless this world. So step one is to identify the gifts that God has given you. And if you know what they are, great. But if you don't, it's time to go looking for them. It's time to start asking yourself what makes me alive. What do I really flourish when I begin to do? What, what, what begins to elevate my heart rates when I know I have a chance to go do something? What, what comes naturally to me? We need to identify the gifts that God has given us. Second thing is this. We need to view every job as an opportunity to grow in our gifts. Every job. Every opportunity, every situation that you're placed in, every chance you get to serve, every place that you work, every job is an opportunity to develop the God-given gifts that he has placed within you for his purpose, for his kingdom. That's a shift in attitude, right? Man, we can work places for years and not develop anything. And we just think, well, that was just a crappy job. No, it was a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity. You know what? There were some disciplines that I was forced to learn when I was in jail. And there were some disciplines I was forced to learn when I was in rehab that are still benefiting my life today because they were lessons that I learned in really bad places, bad places that I put myself in. It wasn't anybody else's fault I was there. But even in those bad places, I learned things that still affect my life today. Everywhere you are is an opportunity to learn. Everywhere you are is an opportunity to develop your skills and your gifts. Don't miss those opportunities. Part of generosity is using every moment to develop yourself and to get better at the gifts God has given you. Number three, pay the price to make your gifts excellent. Be willing to pay the price. That means you've got to put extra time in. That means you've got to work harder. That means you've got to sacrifice going and doing something fun sometimes to stay home and develop your gift and to hone your craft and to get really good. You know what? One of the things I believe that we've lost a little bit in the church is this standard of excellence. We've lost it a little bit. Maybe we feel like, ah, oh, the Holy Spirit will just cover for me. Or we feel like, well, I'm just faithful to show up so they should let me do something in the church. But what if we strove 
for a standard of excellence. Think about this. Now, I was in New York City, and, and we went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And oh my goodness, what a beautiful building. What an unbelievable building. You go inside, and the statues, and the paintings, and the tapestries, and the stained glass, and the beauty of the building was just amazing. The skill level. And you say, yeah, but that's like old Catholic stuff, Pastor. Well, why did they used to build their churches like that? Because they didn't have fog machines and sound systems and fancy lights and all the things to create this worship environment. So you know what they did instead? They used amazing artistic skills to build a beautiful sanctuary so that everybody who would walk into that sanctuary would automatically be in awe of God and it would set the environment for worship. Nowadays, we walk in and we go, ah, this is just like an old crusty cathedral from a thousand years ago. No, it was supposed to inspire awe to lead us into worship. We've lost that sense of excellence. Even the tabernacle that God designed for them. He didn't say, hey, I want you to make it plain. I want you to make it simple. Don't waste any money because, you know, making a fancy building is a waste of money. So don't waste any money. I just want you to make as simple of a tent as you possibly can. No. He said, I want it to be the most amazing tent. I want stuff to be inlaid with gold. I, want every, I even want the poles to be covered in gold. I want everything. I don't want any wood showing at all. I want every piece of wood covered in gold. I want the tapestries to have artwork in them, finely woven, intricate artwork. I want the priest to be wearing this outfit that's got like 12 jewels on this shoulder and 12 jewels on this shoulder and some jewels up here on the turban. I want the priest looking good when he comes into the temple to minister, right? He, he wanted everything to look amazing. And so he chose the very best artists to come in and make the tabernacle look amazing. And nowadays in church, we're like, ah, well, you know, if it's too good, it's like we're showing off. And, and you know, we, we, we don't have to be that great at it. I mean, we're just Christians. We can just kind of show up and we serve. Well, no. What if we recaptured the heart of excellence? What if we desired everything we did in the church and everything we did in the community to reach a standard of excellence? And we know the only way we can do that is to pay the price to develop our gifts to a whole new level so we can be even greater for the things that God has called us to do. Amen. Number four, be obedient when God calls you. When God calls you in a small thing, be obedient to it. Because then that means he can give you something bigger the next time. When he calls you by name, respond. When he has a, a gift for you to use, use it. We don't have time today to break down Romans chapter 12, but in Romans chapter 12, it says, God has given you a gift in a certain measure, so use it. He says, if it's in prophecy, then prophesy. If it's in leadership, then lead somebody. If it's encouragement, then cheer somebody up. Whatever gift he's given you, use it. Be obedient to use it. And you might be thinking, well, the gifts I have don't really translate to church, right? Because you either have to be able to preach or, or be a musician to, to be able to do something in church. No, that's not true. Man, you might have the gift to write. You might have the gift to love people. You might have the gift of encouragement. You might, you, there's so many unique and varied gifts that you might be thinking right now, they don't fit in and I don't have a place in the church. No, when God calls you, be obedient to use that gift. And not only that, but before he called you, you took the time to develop that gift to a level of excellence. 
Let's have the worship team come back up today. And finally, number five, use your gift freely to serve the kingdom of God. God may have given you those gifts so that you could have a job, so that you could make money and support your family, and that's great. But that's not the only reason he gave you those gifts. He gave you those gifts to serve the kingdom of God. And every day that we can look for opportunities, how can I let my gifts flow freely to greater serve the kingdom? That is the generosity you were designed for. Is that you have gifts. All right, where can I use these gifts? God, where are you calling me to use them? God, where can I volunteer myself? God, where can I step in and serve? God, where can I bring the church to a new level of excellence? God, where can I help the church expand and do greater things? How can I be generous the way I was designed to be generous? God designed Michael Phelps to swim. But you know what? Michael Phelps could have been a forgotten man. He could have gone unnoticed his whole life. He might have decided, I don't want to swim. I don't want to stand out. I don't want people to notice me. He could have gone unrecognized his whole life, even though he was designed to swim. But he didn't. You know, some of the greatest athletes in the world, we never hear of them. Why? Because they didn't have the drive or they weren't willing to pay the price to get to the level of excellence that they could compete. You were designed to be used by the kingdom of God to advance the gospel, to touch and change people's lives, to see his church grow, and to see the influence of the word of God spread. You were designed for that. Now the challenge is, will we be generous in what we were designed to do? Will we allow those gifts to flow freely? Will you stand with me today?